this is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Learn more at southcities.church. Has everyone here traveled internationally? I know Nick has. Dave has. Stacy, you have. Yep. Uh, Dave, what was the first place you traveled internationally? Uh, Ecuador. Okay. Yep. Is that like a younger missions trippy kind of thing? It was a college basketball team missions trip. What do basketball players do when they're missionaries? Whoa, do they beat whoa. people in basketball games or do they get beaten for the sake whoa. of the gospel? We, <laughs> we, we beat people. Um, but we basically went around to big stadiums and played against all their kind of like national level teams and then we would do then we would do uh, gospel presentations at halftime and hang around afterwards and try to connect them to local church leaders who were traveling around with us oh cool yeah it's good times is that the farthest you've traveled from the united states no (laughs) went to uh amsterdam and germany oh yeah yeah with uh with jason to meet with all of our global partners Three days before Stone was born. Whoa. Good times. <clears throat> Stacy, what was the first place you traveled internationally? I think it was Mexico. Okay. Yep. Uh, flying into or driving across border? Flying into. Okay. Youth That's missions cool. trip. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what did a youth missions trip in Mexico look like? Uh, was- we did like VBS or kind of, you know, kids type activities and helped with some service projects at a church down there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, is that the farthest you've been from the United States? No, I don't know. It's actually farther geographically. I mean, it's not outside of the United States, but Alaska might be further. Oh yeah. 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 That's true. That was on a different, <laughs> different climate, different mission type trip. Well, it was a mission type trip. Yeah. Okay. Worked at a, a uh, Bible camp. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nick, I know you've traveled. What was your first international location? Does Canada count? It does. It's fine. <laughs> in Canada, <laughs> when I was in middle school. For the sake of fishing? Yes, for a fishing trip. A missions trip to the fishing trip? No, that wasn't missions. Fishing it, was trip, just a mission a, trip. it was just fishing. <laughs> yeah, mission, just fishing. Besides uh, Canada, what's the farthest you've gone? I'm not sure if Myanmar or Ethiopia is further. Uh, mm. Myanmar's further. Yeah. Time zone wise for sure. Yeah. Um, so those okay. are the two places that I've Chew. been. Mexico and Asia. That's mm. uh, And both of those were mission yeah. related ish. Yep. Kachin people. Actually, both of them were, I think both of them were, I don't know. Myanmar wasn't a TLI trip. No. Ethiopia was TLI. Yep, yep. Myanmar was Training a Bethlehem trip, but yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's cool. Well, one of the places I would like to go someday is Turkey. And why I would like to go to Turkey is because I would like to visit Thyatira and all these other places. It's like it's like a dream of mine to do that. It's never going to happen, let's be honest. But it is a dream. It's on the list. And mm. in part, I want to go there and see that, uh, mainly for the awesome food and coffee, but also because the seven churches of Revelation are there. So maybe we could plan a trip together, guys. No? Do a podcast there. We could do a podcast there. Record a video series there. Some other people. Pastoring Out Loud International. 
Staring mm. <laughs> internationally out loud. International edition. Yeah, yeah. So we're going through a series. This is the third part where we're talking about what the churches in Asia Minor uh, from Revelation 2 and 3, what they teach us that a church should positively pursue. Hmm. So we've come to the church at Thyatira, uh, which uh, we, uh, as I've been working from a rubric, we've been working from kind of a uh, teaching series from J.I. Packer, uh, the late J.I. Packer, who says that Thyatira teaches that a church should pursue holiness. So I'll read the, the letter to Thyatira, and we'll talk about it for a minute. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my, servant, my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, or who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I don't lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have till I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear, the Spirit says to the churches. The Thyatira was a uh, kind of compromised church with a group of people that apparently um, were holding fast. And Jesus, the word to them was to continue to hold fast. And then there was a group of them that were basically getting a warning because of a lack of holiness and compromise. When we, you know, again, in these podcasts, we're not particularly trying to dig into exegesis so much as grab application points. So what do you think in terms of, um, yeah, what can we derive as far as application when we say South City's church, seek holiness? Why is, why is that important? What are some things you would say? Well, for starters, holiness is important. Yeah, what I mean, what is holiness like uh, as a a banner, like a sentence? What would you say? Loving what God loves and hating what God hates, and acting in accordance with that. Something like that. Yeah, being being set apart from the world as those who are on God's side, as it were. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, loving what God loves. I mean, holiness has to do with uniqueness, set apartness. Right, yep. Yep. Uh, God is set apart from his creation, and there are particular things that he seems to set apart within his creation for himself, like his people. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see things like that in the Old Testament, other things like that. When we talk about holiness as far as it pertains to a church, we're often talking about things like character qualities, like reflecting the very character qualities of God. 
um, which is his glory, holiness and glory are super wrapped up into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for his people to love what God loves, hate what God hates, because I think that's part of it too, you know, hating what God hates. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say, we want all that God wants. Like, I think that uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book. I think, was it Kevin DeYoung, right? A Hole in Our Holiness. Yep. Do you guys remember that book? Yep. Where he basically made the argument that there's a significant part of a Christian, you know, corporate or even American Christianity's theology that's missing, namely sanctification. That we think in terms that we're justified and that we kind of leave off talking about sanctification in significant ways. I wouldn't say that that's particularly characterized our church over the years, um, but I think that may be kind of a, I think the appropriate word for it is antinomian. Yeah. So if, I mean, what, what is that idea, the antinomian idea? <clears throat> well, that literally means anti-law. Right. And so it's, you know, the thought that you're justified by faith and then that's enough. And right. so it doesn't matter. What happens? As it were, I mean, not, yeah, they wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but they right. would say that, yeah, you. I mean, if you've accepted Christ, whatever that means, then you're good. Right, right, right. You know, and so distinguishing that from, you know, like, no, your sanctification really does matter as a fruit of your justification. Right. And that Christ purchases kind of that whole package. Yeah. He, I remember, his, yeah. Yeah. That the thing that Piper always said that stuck with me was the faith that justifies always sanctifies. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sanctification necessarily happens for all those that are, are Christ's. Do you think we do a good job teaching and preaching about sanctification? Pastor for preaching? I guess I hope so. Uh, um. Well, there was a mini sermon series in August. Yeah. This yeah. past August about, about it. But yeah, that's true. That's true. And what do we say in that series, Stacy? Be holy. Pursue be, holiness. Be holy. <laughs> I mean, we I'm talked holy. about what sanctification is and how it happens. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, what, I mean, what I would say about your original question is that I think that preaching through books of the Bible helps us. Um, if, if we're committed to being those who are under the word and not trying to bring our own ideas to the word, then, you know, like when you preach through Ephesians, there's three great chapters about what God has done for his people in Christ. And there's three chapters of, and so here's what you're called to do. Right. And I think if you just preach what is there, then hopefully you're hitting the right notes and balance of both the glorious work of justification and what Christ has done. And then the, um, yeah, the faith working itself out in love kind of parts of it that are obedience mm-hmm. right. and holiness. So that's good. And I think and I think even when it comes to the antinomian thing, I think it's no one in that camp, right, to be fair to them, would say holiness doesn't matter. They would probably say something like, Don't ever preach about you don't need to preach about obedience. You just preach about the gospel and yeah. then that's just gonna make, you know, right, right. your heart change your and be justification more, yeah. harder. Yeah. And that will flow into sanctification. And my my argument against that has just been that's just not what the biblical authors do. They yeah, talk they about your justification, commands, but they yeah. also say, Hey, uh, speak the truth in love. You know, they, there's just all these commands that I think when those commands hit the Christian heart, as it were, with the Holy Spirit, there's a 
a reviving and a reorienting that happens for life and holiness that's yeah. good and right and yeah. helpful. So, And Paul ties them together in Romans 5 and 6. Yep. It does. <clears throat> yeah. you know. And like every book he writes. Yeah. It's a chain. And Romans 8, you know, all those he justified, he also mm-hmm. glorified. What's between those two is sanctification. Yeah. Right. Um, so it all necessarily happens. That's good. You think there are any particular pitfalls um, for churches kind of in our broad American Western context where there is just like gaps when we think about what God loves, what we should love, what God hates, what we should hate? Just more broadly speaking, anything come to mind? Hmm. Can you refine the question slightly? <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, I can. Um, so when you think about like every culture has kind of its blind spots, right? <clears throat> and we being um, people within this culture and our church being part of this culture, um, how, um, how can we take care to say, this is a blind spot that Christians may have here in America. Sure. Um, I think that probably in our culture, I mean, at least in the context I'm in, it's, it's maybe not. Um, I mean, we could, we could talk about the real, real broad church and certainly the broad church. If you're talking about any place that calls itself a church in America has certainly given into some of the same. Yeah things that we see here in Revelation as far as embracing uh, sexual immorality and sexual norms that are not in line with God's uh, God's design. And then, you know, even when you think about eating food sacrificed to idols, we obviously don't have a ton of that kind of thing going on in our culture. Um, but I think that we could say that there are ways where maybe we partake of culture in a way that is treating it like it's an ultimate God, you know, like sure. it's our ultimate hope, like it's a, a way that we want to find some sort of foundation for our lives, you know what I mean? And so I, I think I think there's things like politics and other areas like that that are that are not bad to, to know about and care about, but when we begin to live our lives, if those are the hope and let our fears and anxieties and happiness be run by those and there's probably ways we're participating in a cultural thing that is idolatry um so things things like that maybe the uh first thing i thought of is like a consumerist church yeah mm-hmm. yep um like just i'm here for my social club i'm here for a selfish self-serving reason to yeah. maybe hmm. bolster my image as a christian or things like that Things like that. Yeah, so even the the cultural individuality and consumer mindset. That the, yeah, I mean, the way I've said it is like the church is, is a buffet line, not a family. You know, do, do you have my favorite things here? Um, and if you don't, then I might go to the buffet down the street. Yeah, Costco Christianity. Yeah. yeah. So there's a place for Costco in culture, <coughs> and it ain't the church. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about holiness as the being set apart, yeah. like God is, then as we look at a church, either at large or a specific individual church, is it set apart from the culture that's around yeah, it in yeah. any meaningful ways? Right. And there's a, a hundred ways that it could not be. 
whether it's sexual immorality or whether it's other types of things that Dave is saying, buying into cultural narratives and hopes and idols and things like that in a variety of ways. Um, those, those are things that we ought to, if we're following Christ, be set apart from as the Lord is. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anything else about Thyatira, holiness, concept of holiness? Well, let's continue on. So the next church is the church at Sardis, who wants to read Revelation 3, 1 through 6. You're going to have to call on someone. Uh, well, Nick. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> And to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So Packer talks about um, this church speaks to how a church ought to be authentic and interconnected with that is, uh, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So there's something that they're doing outwardly that apparently has the veneer, the appearance, the reputation of faithful Christianity, but behind the scenes that's not actually the case. Authenticity is a big deal in our culture. You know, everybody be your authentic self, you know, whatever that might look like. Is it, can a church just simply place authenticity as a value and just say, yeah, we're being our authentic self apart from any other consideration? Do you think that that's a, a fair way? Like, you know, you pull up people's or a church's websites and often I, I see, like, we are authentic, you know, as something that, that they put forward as expressing themselves. Is that enough by itself, do you think? Uh, no. Well, no. Say no. That's good. <clears throat> no. We have to be authentic I would according say, to something. I would say authenticity is a... Uh, a means in its best sense to a greater end. And what I mean by that is no one wants to be in a church where you're pretending. Yeah. Where you're acting. Like you can see acting, what they're getting at. Yeah, where you're acting, you know, where as either as a whole church or as individuals where you're acting like things are different or better than they really are. Yeah. I, that doesn't help anybody. And posturing, yeah. However, I also think that there's a, uh, a dangerous side to authenticity 
which even in, and so the dangerous side in the culture would be, you know, just be whatever you feel in that moment because that's who you are and just act on it, right? Just do it. Uh, and then that becomes what's right. Self-expression, that's yeah. what's right. And, and I think, you know, even in a church, like I, I've been in some settings where people have, you know, talking about marriages or talking about different situations where they're like, well, I just, you know, that's how I feel. I just got to let them have it. You know, I just got to say what I feel. And my response to that has been, under the banner of Christ, as those who have the Holy Spirit, we are our most authentic, real selves when we are controlled by and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And so, um, yeah, a pastor, Ellison lot says, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. So I'd say something like that. You know, authenticity <laughs> ends with, it's okay to not be okay. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave us in our uh, dysfunction and sin and bad spots that we just spew, you know, out in our authentic way. It says, let's become even more in the image of Christ, which is who you are, your most true self as a Christian, you know, so something like that. It's kind of reminding me of our staff conversation last week about honesty. Yeah, truthfulness, yeah. You know, when any of us or other people that I know say, well, I was just being honest and that's, that's good to be honest, but it's also not probably the highest value. It's better to have love and mm-hmm. sometimes love means speaking and being, uh, what is the word you're saying? Truthful. Authentic. Oh, yeah. Authentic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes maybe it isn't and, and it is good to be honest about ourselves or, you know, be authentic, but then for what, for the yep. sake of what, like yep. repentance, yep. Maybe a way to say it is That's so. Repent. Yeah. Yes, repentance. <laughs> Repent. Yes, <laughs> and it, pursue holiness. Yeah. We should be authentic to live uh, as a new creation. Right. So, like, if we're new creations, then that's what we should be authentic to. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we should pursue yeah. living out of that identity. Yeah. As yes. our authentic. That's your authentic self in Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. Another way to say it is be an anti-hypocrite. Like, don't don't uh, cave into hypocrisy or tolerate it, but work against it. Uh, and, my, and my guess is what Packer's getting at is this church is doing a bunch of stuff that looks good, but the inside's really not good. Yeah, yeah. And so certainly in that way, we we don't want to be that. You know, we don't want to be inauthentic in that we're pretenders. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> In any way, making things seem a certain way that they're not. Um, yeah, good, good. Anything else you'd say about the concept of authenticity as we see here in the Church of Sardis or more about the concept in general? I wonder, this is just a random thought, connecting mm-hmm. the last passage we did with this one is just that I wonder about, in the last church, it seemed like, you know, there's a group of people tolerating this and a group of people not tolerating this, and then... Here's this church that seems alive, but it's dead. One of the things we've been trying to do at South City is more, and it's it's not perfect, and we're not, I wouldn't say that we're doing it perfect, but it's trying to invite more congregational feedback. And even just when we hear things are not, when we hear there's questions, you know, about something that's happening or that's being done, trying to invite the con- congregation to give feedback and then take it seriously, even from a leadership level, and then have conversations about it. And that feels like a... I just was thinking out loud, that feels like a good way 
to have the priesthood of all believers be a part of not letting your church look like it's alive, but is actually dead. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as the, as the whole body works together to build the body up in love, you know, it's just, um, and I think that's the impulse behind that is, hey, we know this is going on, so let's not pretend like no one's frustrated about it. Let's just talk about it, you know. Um, and so I wonder if that's another helpful way to not to have the right kind of authenticity as we all pursue holiness together. And again, it's not perfect, but it seems healthy and good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, we're going to continue and finish uh, the churches next week. I actually will be out of town. Uh, So you won't hear me for a few weeks on the podcast, whether abrasively or mercifully, depending on how you think about that. Be safe, man. Thanks. We'll be be continuing through these and then launching onto some other things into uh, the last part of February and into March. Thanks, guys. Thanks.